honestly, just calling a spade a spade. I've never seen a check or rent being paid with passion. The great thing about software engineering is you can make a lot of money, like a disgusting amount of money. Fang jobs, we can pull on levels of FYI, like junior developers are making 200,000 total compensation, which is on like, that's more than both my parents combined. And yeah, like, that's like a mechanical engineer with 30 years of experience or something. More. Yeah, yeah. that's probably like two with 30, like a professional <laughs> engineer. Like with like, yeah. you're not going to get that. By popular demand, I am here with Melky. Welcome, man. How's it going? What's up, man? Appreciate the opportunity to have me here. Excited. I know I had to reschedule a few times because I'm super bad with planning, dude. I'm like, I just can't plan. It's such a bad thing. I go with the wind, but I'm excited. So I'm going to have to leak this. I've learned that I'm now stereotyping all Twitch streamers as bad planners. Yeah. I think there's a pattern. <laughs> now, obviously, every single one of my listeners probably already knows who you are. But for the 5% that isn't aware of your fame, go ahead and tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do for work, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's fitting. Back-end banter. So I'm a back-end engineer. I'm a back-end engineer that wears a front-end mask, I would say. But yeah, my name is Melky. It used to be Melky Dev, but I removed the dev part. And I work for Twitch right now. I'm a ML infrastructure engineer at Twitch. So it's like infrastructure as code, lots of backend stuff, lots of services that I own and create. And I stream on Twitch. So you catch me there. We talk about a lot of different things. I try to keep up with the latest innovations in the tech world. And specifically in the front end world, that's why I wear that mask. Because professionally, I get paid to write code for... Uh, backend stuff and infra infrastructure pipelines, all that greasy, heavy level deep dive stuff. That's what we but love here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of my passion, a lot of the apps I build are more front end centric. So I definitely have a good feather in my cap when it comes to understanding the current changes in both worlds. Cool. So we're completely opposite then, because today for my job, I was forced to write some CSS and now I want to kill myself. And I'm excited <laughs> to. I'm excited to talk about some backend stuff. Nice. So it sounds like you're, correct me if I'm wrong, your role is almost like a data engineer. You're like building tools for, for ML stuff. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a data engineer. There isn't, a lot of the tools I build have a sincere focus with handling data and providing data at large scale, like at Twitch scale. And so we, I've built tools that provide data for models to be inferenced and trained on. And that is a part of my job, but... A lot, the majority of it is more the infrastructure and setting up. How do we even create the pipeline to process this data? How do we scale it? What do we use to even, what's the first step? How do you go from handling data that's, let's say, 30, a stream of 30 data points a second to handling a million data points every minute or something like that, right? right. The scale is much different. You can't really use the same infrastructure. And it's also, how do we apply the smart infrastructure? Because you don't want to just throw the bag at it and just like more money will solve your problems. You have to be smart about it. There's always cost implications, even though I work at Twitch, which is like under AWS, we still have to be mindful of our cost there. So it's a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, there's a lot of backend core service of service stuff that I also get my hands dirty on. Got it. Okay, cool. So we, we have this 
I would argue we have a very similar background. I, before working on boot dev, my title was backend engineer, but I did a lot of this data engineering stuff. The data I worked on, though, I'm sure is quite different. We basically ingested a large portion of Twitter and Reddit and text data and did a bunch mm -hmm. of NLP text analysis. But at the end of the day, I was basically just ingesting all of this data, you know, cleaning it up, shoving it into some database. And then later we do some ML stuff, analysis and aggregations and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's super similar to the stuff I did. The data might be different, but the underlying goal sounds the same. Yeah. So do you work mostly with like video, like encoded data, or are you doing like likes and subscribes and like that kind of event stuff? Yeah. So there's a separate team altogether that handles everything data. I don't touch any data, core data ingestion stuff. That's like I said, like a whole separate team. My stuff is more so like, yeah, like every, everything else when it comes to a user's interaction on a Twitch platform. So when they click something, when they subscribe, when they unsubscribe, when they follow, when they unfollow, any action, all of that gets piped in real time into like our data lake, into our streaming platform, all that stuff. And then it's how do we process the scale of that per user, per channel, per user channel pair. And it, it gets you can imagine for one channel, so let's say a channel like XQC pops up, right? And XQC not only has 30K live viewers, but let's say 10,000 of them are constantly talking in chat. So we're ingesting all of that data and all those parameters. And then let's say from that 30,000, let's say at a time, every second, 100 are gifting a sub or in the process of resubscribing. And from that 30,000, let's say 5,000 clicking follow for the first time. Or another one is, let's say out of those 30,000, 10,000 have another tab open with another streamer. And then we do the exact same thing all over again, all matching that to the same user and all their channel pairs. So it gets pretty gnarly pretty quickly. 30,000 concurrent users. That's like half of your current viewership, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, that's, okay. yeah <laughs> roughly. Yeah, actually, she's, he's coming from my title. I think I'm still quite a, a ways ahead of him, but he's on my radar. He's on yeah, my, yeah. got a healthy lead. You just have yeah, for it. now. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. So this is actually super interesting. I didn't realize this. So your users, like the users of the like data that you're aggregating and the infrastructure you're building, like, it sounds to me like that's base. Is that like the product marketing team, the product team? Are they going and like trying to figure out what, like what viewers and streamers are doing and how they're using the product so they can improve it? Or how does that work? Yeah. So every org in Twitch has a product division. My org is specifically focused on how to make money. It's like the commerce org. And obviously with that, we try to release new products or improve existing products. So I work very closely with the product stuff on Twitch, building new products, like you said, but I also do some other stuff, which is like fraud uh, detection. So I work with a lot of high level applied scientists that are trying to in investigate and detect which accounts are fraudulent or doing fraudulent transactions. And I'm building the service around that to action on if that user is fraud, what do we do? Got it. Okay. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds really fun. What kind of technologies are you using for, from a high level to, to do this stuff? So we're fully on AWS. So all of our infra is on AWS. So that could be like step functions. That could be S3, our streaming services, all of that. That's all done through AWS. So any service that AWS offers, you know, that's us. Do you use as many managed services as you can? Like, yeah, we like, try to. Know, bare bones VPCs or whatever. We do a lot of bare bone VPC stuff as well. Like we like we get into the networks. Like I've had to configure stuff from security networks, from the private VPC. Like I had to do 
like pretty gnarly low level stuff like that too. That's not my favorite. That stuff I, it goes over my head. I'm not too well versed in that area. I'm I can get around, but yeah, we actually do a lot of like managed services. We try to like airflow stuff, managed MWA, all that cool stuff. We try to use as much out of the box with changing the parameters to fit our needs. And then the majority of our code is written in Go. So Golang for like our backend yes. services. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. God, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Yes. So we're majority Golang and our and we have a very tight coupling to TypeScript for some infra deployment stuff because we use type safety for deploying our CDK stacks and all that. Amazing. I love hearing about other people using Go in production. I don't know if you knew. So Boot Dev is a place for people to learn backend development. That's what this podcast is centered around, obviously, backend development. And we use Python and Go. So I'm always yeah. super excited. Uh, yeah, writing a backend in Python is a little eyebrow raising. I won't lie to you. I don't do it in production. We teach Python because a lot of our students are learning programming for the first time. So we bring you up in Python to teach you like basic coding skills. But then all of the backend related stuff, at least on Boot Dev, is taught in Go. Okay, and what language is how did you, what language is boot written in? Go. Okay, all go. Yeah, so I've been a Go developer for almost my whole career. Oh, okay, nice. Um, primarily, and I did Python in school. I've done a little Python in production, not a ton. Obviously, tons of JavaScript. You can't get away from that. Yeah, but no, yeah. fun for the client interfacing parts, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, don't yeah. write it on the back end unless I have to. Yeah. Um, I avoid, I wouldn't say I avoid JavaScript on the back end, but a lot of the apps I build now, just for the sake of convenience, like with Next and Next Auth, are primarily just full-fledged JavaScript applications. Just because what I like just building apps. I like building apps that people use. Yeah. And there's there was one instance where I was making something, and I still have it on, the, on, on my project roadmap, it's, it was an app that allows like Twitch streamers to see their data in real time. So we use like the Twitch API, everything's, it's not because I work at Twitch, I get this data, it's just like Twitch API stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the backend is written in Go because I'm processing data. I'm going to have to do some pretty crazy stuff with it. I just prefer Go. But using Next Auth and Next is such a win, especially when it's dealing with user databases because like handling cookies, protocols, Auth stuff, like yeah. with just go and then having your JavaScript application, like it can get messy super quick. And so I'm a huge fan of rolling my own auth with something like next auth. It trying to get that, trying to have a JavaScript or a TypeScript project with next, which is technically a backend framework for TypeScript with a true go backend like go, you can imagine it's pretty, pretty messy and hard to maintain fast. But I think I found a decent medium for it for right now. Yeah, so that's actually like, you've pretty much described the stack that I prefer for a significant number of web apps, which is basically like this full stack kind of TypeScript backend front end for like the application itself. Yep. You know, there's like the backend for the front end and then there's the actual backend. Backend, yeah. Yeah, so like the backend for the front end makes a lot of sense for me to be in TypeScript, but then like, yep. sometimes you need to do like heavy data processing. If you hate money, then you can do that in TypeScript. Some of us don't hate money. Yeah. And just, it, it makes, there's not, the tooling isn't like robust enough, I think, in TypeScript to handle true data processing at that scale. Go is, Go, that's what kind of a Go was made for, right? It was built to be used as a microservice for these kind of purposes. So now that I'm like super happy about your tech stack and we've geeked out about that. Yeah, I, I can pass. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about your, like how you view how you got to where you are. So on your stream, a lot of times you talk about career stuff, 
Yeah. Do I need a CS degree to get to yep. where I am today? You're a, correct me if I'm wrong, senior developer at Twitch, right? Yep. Yep. Cool. How did you get there? Did you get a CS degree? Do you need a CS degree? Let's dive into that topic a little bit. Yeah. I preach what I believe in always. I'm never going to be a person who like says something, but I do something outside of what I say. I mean, all my experience comes from what I've witnessed, right? So this may be different to other people. And because I've realized like my audience, a lot of my audience is like very European based, which is cool. Or I should say not even European based, but outside of, let's say America, like the United States. So there's like a lot of people in Brazil, a lot of people like just worldwide. For those people that want to like actually move to United States, like I would just want to say that getting a CS degree is the best thing you can do. There's no alternative. If you're in a different country, you mean move you want... and get a CS degree. No, no, get a CS degree in your current country. And then when you apply to a visa to move, your chances of getting approved for your uh... visa drastically go higher if you have a, if you have a CS degree. So like for uh, visa purposes, having yeah. a degree will make that whole process easier. Yeah. And a specific CS degree like that, not just a degree, like it has to be a degree at the very least in STEM, like a STEM CS degree. But if you're going applying to Amazon and let's say you get to a point where they're like ready to offer you a letter or something, but they have to sponsor you for a visa, like they probably won't continue that conversation unless you have a CS degree, especially oh, if you're not okay. in Canada or Mexico. That's really interesting. I never even realized that, but it makes a ton of sense. And I've never experienced the whole visa thing at all. Yeah. So I'm, I have a visa, but my visa, because I'm Canadian, my visa is super easy. It's a work authorization visa. So I don't, it's super easy for me to get this visa. If I just need an offer letter and they're like, yeah, you're good. So that's it. But back to your, the root of your questions, like, do I think people, I guess in the United States or Canada need a CS degree to get a job? And like, absolutely not. I don't have a CS degree. I have a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I have a master's in AI, which is very weird. A lot of people are like, how do you not have a CS degree if you have a master's in AI? So my master's is in applied science of engineering with AI. It's still not considered a CS degree. My bachelor's of engineering is definitely not a CS degree. I was able to get, like I went to school for mechanical engineering. I realized it was shit because you're gonna get paid pennies. The work sucks. Everything about it sucked. And I realized this in my last semester, my very last semester of my last year at school. And I was like, <laughs> shit, this is not yeah. good. Like, I'm about to enter adulthood hating my life. And I remember this thing. My mom even reminds me about this all the time. She said, I remember the time you came back home and you're like, man, my life sucks. I'm going to get a mediocre job, get a mediocre pay and live a mediocre life. And now that's like not the case. But... <laughs> Yeah. What I did was I just learned, I just learned programming. I just like, like on my last semester, I literally, I wanted to learn programming and I knew I didn't have enough time. So this was in February. I'm graduating in like end of April. So that's two months away. I'm like, I can't go back to get an undergrad in computer science. I don't have enough money for it. I had to pay. Right. I had no, all my loans, all my grants were done. I had no money. So I'm like, what, what do I do? And the only thing I could think of was like, okay, I have two months. I have to meet a mentor. That's the only thing I could think of. So I went to my school's computer science lab. I found them somehow. Didn't have access to the building. So I had to wait until like class finished. And I like went <laughs> like in there. walk in when the doors yeah, open? Yeah, walked in. I was a student all that. I didn't have access to that building. And I specifically searched up this professor. He was a professor who was a 40 under 40, Graham Taylor. He earned his master's of AI under the godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hinton. And... I go up to his office. It was on the fourth floor. 
And he's, oh, you're here for like office hours. It just happened to be office hours, right? And I'm like, <laughs> like no, yeah, sure. I'm like, no, like I, I want to learn to program. And this guy, he's just not a bullshit guy. Like, what? What? I don't understand. He's like, I want to like work. I, I want to work in your lab. You've taught me this course before, like in, during my undergrad. You probably don't remember me because I sat in the back, but I want to learn to program. Can I join your lab? I'll do anything. I literally said, like, I'll do any kind of work as long as I learn how to program. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to pay you. I'm like, I don't want to be paid. He's like, all right, cool. Start tomorrow. And again, I still don't have access to a lab. So I had to sneak in there, went into his lab, didn't have access. I had to knock, someone opened it. And I just stood there until someone's like, who are you? And they're like, okay. I explained the situation. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Professor Taylor told me about you. You're going to parse CSV files. He sat me down on his desk, on a desk beside him, turned it on, gave me a OneDrive dump of CSV files. And the student was a PhD student. So he was doing his PhD and he needed like this data parsed. And it was like bitch work. Okay. And he's like, go ahead and do this. And that's the only instruction I got. And I'm like, how? He's like, use Python. And that's it. Dude, CSV parsing, I think is the, uh, CSV parsing is to backend development what like building login forms is to frontend development. <laughs> yeah. just, you just have to do it so often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was really good experience. Like I, I introduced me to like Python, like pandas, imports, all that stuff. It took me a very long time and I didn't even get the data right to him, but I was in that lab all the time, all the time. Like literally I would be the first one in there when I got access eventually and I would just I would eat lunch there. I would take my courses there, like online courses. I would just literally live in that lab and I would just continuously like parse CSVs. I would eavesdrop on like conversations because this was an AI lab. So yeah, they're yeah. talking about like neural networks and PyTorch and TensorFlow. And I would hear the word TensorFlow and I'd be like, what the f like, and I would just Google it. I'd be like, what's TensorFlow yeah. on my computer? Look at it and I would use it. And that's eventually how I got into neural networks. That's awesome. So how, like, you, you have this background of a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, a master's yeah. degree in AI, Yeah. which like what that you actually learned in school, I'm sure that a ton of stuff you learned in school actually is applicable in some way to programming. What has been the most applicable stuff and what's the stuff where it's kind of been like, ah, oh, that was a waste of time and money. Honestly, every course I took was just like a waste of money. None of that is applicable to oh, anything God. I do. Day really? To day. Like yeah. not even the math courses? No, not even close. Like I'm not computing Jacobians as a neural network. Like TensorFlow and PyTorch handle that for me. I'm not computing matrices or multiplying matrices together. I'm not doing any of that stuff. It was a fun little tidbit to understand how things work under the hood. But other than that, like that's not applicable. Because at the end of the day, business doesn't care about what's under the hood. Business care the sound of when they slap the hood. So that's what they want. And so, yeah, I would say another course is very applicable. The only thing I'm grateful for with my master's is that it bought me time. And that time was more valuable than any skill I learned. So while you were doing the master's, is that when you were learning programming? Yeah. Oh, yeah. got it. Okay. So you were like actively getting a master's degree in something that you were like, I'm not, I don't know about this. Like, it's not going to be useful. But at the same time, you were just learning programming. Yeah. So that story with the lab was in February and I worked it all the way until end of April. I learned like a decent amount of Python and neural network stuff. Cause like, like I said, I was eavesdropping and just like applying that stuff and it was cool. People would show me how to do it. But then I graduated and I'm like, shit. You graduated I gotta, with your master's degree. 
No, I graduated from my undergrad at this point. I have oh, okay. yet to be, I have yet to join. I have yet to, I didn't know at this point, I'm still in my undergrad. I did not have a master's lined up, nothing. I was just working in the lab of this neural network professor for free. And then I graduated. I was like, okay, I got to find a job somehow as a programmer. I was like determined. I was like, I got to find a job as a programmer. I was able to get like this random like consulting gig for a couple of months it was trash. I like barely talk about it. Like it was just so bad. Like with um, a web dev company or something. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah. That's just, like- yeah. It was like, I was getting paid like 40 K Canadian a year. Like nothing. Like it was just terrible. And then like all of a sudden. a common trap, by the way, for college dra- grads. I know a lot of people who like graduate and then quickly get a job making like a very low amount for like a company that just farms out web developers. Yeah. And it's always, I think it's an okay place to start, but do not stay there very long. Yeah, agreed. It's an okay place to start if you can find an okay company that lets you grow. But I could see the writing in the wall immediately. So I'm like, this place is just not for me. And then, so I was like working there, hating it, trying to learn how to program. And then I got like an email from that professor. And he's like, hey, like we're rolling out a master's program. We want to find students. Do you want to, you want a full ride? And I'm like, yeah. I'll take the full ride. And so then I went back to school, got my master's. And that is when I started, like I was doing my master's, had to build my my thesis all while learning how to program. So why get the master's in AI at that point? Why not get it in CS or something? It was what was offered to me. It's because because I was working in the oh, AI it was just lab. just that program. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It, my, that professor had some sort of affiliation with that program. And so he could only offer that program. He couldn't offer the CS. I, I wasn't in a position to be choosing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Wow. Okay. I've never, I've never heard anyone take quite as hard a stance as you have. I can think of during my CS degree, there were probably, probably like a quarter of the classes of all the classes in my four years where I'd be like, that was actually useful. Mm-hmm. And like, I've used it at some point. Things like data structures and algorithms, even like object-oriented and functional programming, like understanding those concepts. I had a programming languages class that kind of broke down those paradigms. But like the other three quarters, like I'm with you, it was just terrible. I took an acting class because I needed to maintain my scholarship. Like it was just just, just not it. You just had to do it. Just had to do it. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff is like okay when you're 18 years old and you're just like living super cheap and college is paid for again because I had a scholarship. But if you're in your late 20s or 30s and you're trying to make a shift into tech, like that that can be such a waste of time. Yeah, and that's exactly, like, especially for people who are making that shift, like you don't need a degree. That's a trap. Because like you said, people at that age, they have a lot more responsibility. Like they probably have a family, their parents are older. They might have like their own child, whatever, right? Like they have bills to pay mortgages potentially. Like you can't fuck or I don't know if I can swear or not. Good. Yeah, but you can't mess around and go to school for four years to gain some dusty degree. Like at that point, you definitely need to do it yourself. Like a, yeah. a CS degree at that point is not going to give you any more information because it's not only that costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of time. And like time is worth more than money in, in, in certain aspects, right? So that's why when you ask, what's the one thing I was like grateful for? Like it was the time that my master's bought me. I never talk about my thesis because I'm not really proud of my thesis work, but I'm proud of what I did in that time of right. basically learning how to program and getting hired as an engineer. So we know what you wouldn't do. Again, yeah. right? If you were to yeah. reverse engineer, 
your career at Twitch. So if you knew, let's like have a thought experiment. You know that your goal is to get your current job at Twitch mm -hmm. and you have, I don't know, four years to do it. So we're shipping you four years in the past. How would you re-engineer from the ground up that learning experience? Would you go to college? Would you not go to college? Yeah. What would you do instead? What resources would you use? Yeah, no, I would not go to college at all. That wouldn't even cross my mind. That would like, absolutely not. What I would do, and this is assuming, do I need to work or anything? Or I just, am I like a college student? Oh yeah, that's a good question. How old are you now? Do you mind me asking? I'm 20, I just turned 26. My birthday was last week. Let's say you're 22. And okay. let's say, 22 is right about the age. Let's say you graduated with a completely unrelated degree, a degree in cartography. Okay. Map making. Okay. 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 And now you're like, oh crap, I actually, I don't know why I got this degree in making maps, but now I want to go get a job working at Twitch. And the reason I'm using this scenario is actually, this is like a lot of the students I talk to on Budev are yeah. in a similar situation. It's like, just got a music degree. Oh crap. I actually want to be a software engineer. Yeah. If in that's the position, there's two things I would first of all do. I would work enough as a cartographer where I can basically spend 90 days not working. I would, that's my main goal. Like before I even touch programming, I would maybe lightly like brush up on like certain things at night after I do my job, after I do my thing, but I would save up for 90 days or 90 not, days or, of work free, like sabbatical yes, from work. Three months, okay. basically three months. I would save for three months. Right. And this is assuming I have a job. If I don't, then I'm going harder in those 90 days. Essentially the first step is buying 90 days, whatever, however you can do it. If you have to get a loan to get 90 days, then do that. If you have to just work for, I don't know, four months to buy 90 days, I would do that. The goal number one is to buy time, however you can. And then the first thing I would do is lead code. I would lead code every single day. When I, was, when I got my job at Twitch, I was lead coding 12 hours a day, every single day for, I think it was like four weeks. I stopped streaming. I take this shit seriously, right? There's no shortcuts. So yeah. I was literally like lead coding for 14 hours a day. All I did, wake up, lead code until I went to bed. Like my eyes would, I'd be in a basement, no sun, didn't go outside, didn't work Blood out. Bloodshot eyes. Yeah. Inverting that binary tree for the seventh yeah, year just time. Pale skin, <laughs> like everything like that, man. And I would like smoke jewels to make sure like I'm like active, my brain's functioning. But yeah, I'd buy 90, I'd somehow get 90 days and then I would lead code for at least eight hours a day of lead code. So I'd wake for up. All the 90 days you'd lead code? Yes, easy. I'd wake up. And I put eight hours every, like seven days. There's no days off. I'll take maybe Sunday days off. Only Sunday would be the day that you can actually relax. So eight hours a day, like that would be your nine to five. And then I would give myself two or three hours. So let's say that brings us to eight or nine. And then I would do projects. I would build projects using the latest technology. So if I want to be a front end dev, I'm spinning up T3 stack and I'm figuring out what's going on here. I'm watching Theo. I'm watching Prime. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm watching YouTubers build shitty ass projects i'm mimicking it i go yeah, watch adversity yeah. media he's doing a course on mernstack i'm learning mernstack and that'll be my evenings that'll be like from nine to midnight or eight to midnight i love it okay cool this is back-end banter so i have to like find points i agree with you on and then also find points i disagree with you on so that yeah, yeah. so that it's fun okay so grinding and working hard like this is not talked about enough in software development like it is not easy to learn to code so I love it anytime I talk to somebody who's not sugarcoating it. You're going to have to write an ass load of code yeah. if you want to get a real job, right? Like people are hiring you to solve real problems, not build to do apps. So I couldn't agree with you more there. Leet code. 
That's an interesting take. I want to mm -hmm. dive into that though. Mm -hmm. I love leak code. I think the idea like I hate it. Take yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you like it more than me. Maybe we'll I'll explain we'll, why we'll I'll explain why, but I detest leak code. Okay, so the way I think of leak code or the way I recommend students to use it is, okay, I'm going to go learn this concept. So I like take a course and I learn, you know, how, I don't know, big O notation works, how we design performant algorithms and mm -hmm. then go grind leak code until I get it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like putting it into practice. Is that how you think about leak code or is it something else? No, not at all. I don't do leak code to learn anything. I leak code is simply an avenue. It's like a road. And the reason why I would do leak code is because you asked me Twitch specific, right? Ah, okay. Yeah. Any fang job, and I'd recommend, honestly, just calling a spade a spade. A lot of people like going to probe because like, oh, yeah, you get to solve problems and, ooh, like you have a passion for programming. That's all good. I love that. I've never seen a check or rent being paid with passion. The great thing about software engineering is you can make a lot of money, like a disgusting amount of money. Fang jobs, we can pull on levels of FYI. Like junior developers are making 200000 total compensation, okay. which is on, that's more than both my parents combined. Yeah, like, that's like a mechanical engineer with 30 years of experience or something. More. Yeah, that's yeah. probably like two with 30, like a professional <laughs> engineer. Like with like, yeah. you're not going to get that. So I like at that point, you want to build stuff and get paid handsomely for it. And the way you get handsomely paid by is by working at a big tech company, like a Fang company. And there's actually another benefit that I'll get into for a new person going into Fang over a startup. And Lead Code is the way to go into that. If you're able to prove, because you'd be going for a junior role, and I hope like, I hope people who are 35 or even older or maybe younger who are switching their careers, if you think you are too good for a junior role, you're not. Majority of people who are going out of these boot camps or making this shift in their life, you are probably going to be a junior engineer if you're applying for the first time. Even if you do a boot camp or even if you know how to spin up a complex app and use Redis, like you're still a junior developer. Right. You can't really side project your way out of that title that works with like actually working with teams and enterprise applications and like getting stuff done when you leak code you will leak coding to gain an entry-level position that entry-level position a big tech company is going to pay you a lot and the other benefit is when you go into a company like that you are not going to be able to write spaghetti code and when you work at a big tech company, you're going to be working on bigger teams. Those bigger teams are going to have more senior advocates, senior developers, and those seniors are going to be able to guardrail your spaghetti code. Yeah, the first time you make a CR or a PR, it's going to look like dookie dukes, but that's why you have the senior and the mentor is going to be telling you, okay, instead of writing your for loop like this, do like this, or instead of writing nested if statements, do this. And that's how you learn good practices while getting a great salary, while working for a good company, all because you grinded leak code. So for me, I don't, if you ask me now, can I do binary search tree? No, I can't. I don't even want to. I don't think it's embarrassing <laughs> to say, no, I can't. Absolutely yeah. not. But I know that if you give me a week, I can code you the best binary search tree you can think of. Because I, if I need to learn it for a reason, I'll need to learn it. So yeah, that's my stance on leak code and why I actually heavily advocated for junior engineers and people getting into it. It's because it is the best kind of foot in the door for yeah. a great future. So let me dig into this just a little bit deeper, because I think there is a bit of nuance here. Uh, you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, that the FANG companies, like they will have rigorous technical interviews that quiz you on the leak code stuff. Yep. Competitive programming type problems, algorithms, data structures. How can you cleverly solve this 
technical challenge. Yeah. So if you're interested in Fang, if you're interested in Twitch, you need to spend a disordinate amount of time grinding leak code. Yeah. You actually do need to learn the concepts first, right? You do need to go learn why we use binary trees in the first place, but then you need to actually go solve some problems with it. Mm -hmm. Do I need to grind leak code if I'm going to startups or mid-sized companies? No. no what do you, you do don't. instead? That's all project-based and that's all like very catered project-based, right? So if you're going to be applying to a startup, like something from YC or something like that, and you're specifically targeting companies for a front-end role, a lot of the times those companies explain the tech they use. They're, they don't hide it. It's because they're looking for other people to have used that tech that they can onboard almost immediately and get stuff done. Those companies, for every interview I've had with a startup, they've never asked me a single Leaco question. Not once. Yeah. Only time I've done Leaco was with Google and Amazon and another company that was like established, but they were not a Fang company. They're just like a bigger, not startup level company, and they mimic the Fang interview process. But like an interview I had for a company, a great company actually, to be their founding engineer. It was all like, how would you solve this problem? And right. not only did I solve it, like I made it better. Like they're like, oh, you can use like a fake database and just make it work. We'll understand it. I actually spun up a database. I actually made it production ready. I actually got all this stuff done in the allocated amount of time. And I blew them away. They were like, this is remarkable. This is phenomenal. But that's all because I did projects. That's only because I've done the repetition of spinning up like a local Postgres instance in a Docker image that I could communicate like immediately, yeah. like hundreds and hundreds of times. No, that makes perfect sense. I think that's a really good breakdown. And it's this is why I love having people like you on the pod, because most of my career I've worked at not like startup startups, but like smaller companies. The company I spent most of the time at over the last four or five years was a 600 person company, engineering okay, team wow. of 100. So like yeah, series yeah, yeah. D-ish startup, yeah. but like a startup. And at the end of the day, yeah, like most of our technical interviews, we might toss a, a quick coding challenge your way in terms of an algorithm or a data structure. But at the end of the day, we were more interested in projects. And I do think that if I had to view my own bias, it's biased towards building projects, solving problems, demonstrating things rather than leak code. But I do remember I had my interview at Google. I was like halfway into the interview process at Google when I got an offer from a different company and mm -hmm. like didn't finish. Yeah. Oh my God. They had me writing some crazy algorithm in a Google doc. Yeah. They still do that. Oh God, it was terrible. It's still, man. A, like, it's still a Google doc. It's like the most painful thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't compile it. You don't know if your stuff's working or not. Not only yeah. can you not compile it, they expect like the code to be syntactically correct. At least my interview did. Yeah. My interviewer did. It's like, I'm getting like, I'm like assuming because I'm in a Google doc that I should be writing pseudocode. And he's this won't nope. compile. You're like missing a bracket. I'm like, oh no. What? Yeah. That's how this is going to be. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's super important to very early on. And like in that stream, I talked about like before you jump into code, because everyone, you know, is coding and all this stuff. You have to understand what your goal is because you can really screw yourself up. If, if you're doing a ton of projects for your nine to five, let's, you know, you, you were able to buy those 90 days and you're nine to five, you're just making projects, but then you apply to Google, like you're screwed. And like the stuff that you just did is not applicable. But if you're grinding lead code and you apply to Google, like that's way more applicable. And the flip side is if you spend your time doing projects, then you should probably catering to startups. So you have to like really set your expectations early on just so you don't waste time. And I think a lot of people waste time. A lot of people yes. waste time when they get into this industry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And it is tricky because there's lots of different ways to do it. And pretty much any engineer you talk to, like you go work on a team 
of 10 engineers and you talk to each one individually, they'll give you a very different story about how they got into engineering. Yeah, um, for sure. It's like, it's crazy. Like how many different ways can work out in the end? Yeah, but it, that's just like programming, right? There's not, there's never one solution to a problem. Everyone's going to code a different one or implement a different data structure. Just like how people get to certain positions, everyone's going to have their own path. Everyone's going to do it their own way. Yeah. It doesn't, don't model yourself after someone else. Just do what works for you. Fantastic. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a ton of fun. For sure, man. Where Thanks for can, having me. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you online? What? Where are you hanging out? What are you doing? Yeah, I think right now, so obviously Twitch is, I think, my most comfortable platform. So that's twitch.tv slash Melky. used to be Melky Dev, but now it's just Melky. My YouTube is Melky Dev. I couldn't get the Melky uh, handle that was already taken. Ah, That bastard. And then Twitter is twitter.com slash Melky Dev. Super active on all three of those. Fantastic. I'll link those down in the show notes below. Thanks again for coming on, man, and talk to you later. Yeah, this is some good back-end banter. Let's do it again. <laughs>